TED Audio Collective. Believe it or not, the end of the year is upon us. Since the holiday season is all about gathering with family and friends, I decided I wanted to bring some of my friends to this episode. My podcast, Siblings from After Hours, which is another show in the TED Audio Collective. And today, we're going to talk about the business trends we noticed this past year and those we need to pay attention to in 2022. I'm Madhupa Akinola. This is TED Business. Today, you're going to hear me in a conversation with Young Me Moon, Mihir Desai, and Felix Oberholzer-Gee. They're not only the hosts of the After Hours podcast, they're also professors at Harvard Business School, my alma mater. Young Me is an expert on brand strategy with an emphasis on the digital economy. Mihir's focus is on finance, and he holds a joint appointment at Harvard Law School. And Felix is all about organizational strategy. One of the most fun parts of this podcast is the way they blend their expertise, creating lively conversations about topics at the intersection of business and culture. And one of my favorite episodes is their annual tradition of making end-of-the-year predictions. So I wanted to know why predictions, how do they come up with them, and what have they been right and wrong about? I also had some thoughts and questions about current trends that I wanted to chat about. Our conversation is coming up, and if you want to hear this year's After Hours episode with predictions for 2022, you can find it wherever you listen to this podcast. But first, a quick break. This show is brought to you by Schwab. With Schwab Investing Themes, it's easy to invest in ideas you believe in, like artificial intelligence, big data, robotic revolution, and more. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy as is or customize the stocks in a theme to fit your goals. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. Hey, TED Business listeners. We're supported by our friends at Working Smarter, a new podcast from Dropbox exploring the exciting potential of AI in the workplace. Working Smarter talks with founders, researchers, and engineers about the things they're building and the problems they're solving with the help of the latest AI tools. Tools that can save them time, improve collaboration, and create more space for the work that matters most. On Working Smarter, hear practical discussions about what AI can do so that you can work smarter too. Listen to Working Smarter on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or visit workingsmarter.ai. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. One thing you do on this podcast is you make predictions. You make predictions about 
lots of different things, including what we should think about for 2022, other years. I want to step back for a second and learn more about the art of predictions. Why is that one of the things you like to do at the end of the year? First off, it's just enormous fun to kind of just go (laughs) out and like look into your crystal ball. And obviously it's not really about like precision, right? I think in a way it's about the act of trying to imagine the future a little bit. You know, we are all kind of like buffeted by the daily events, but it's kind of like a lot of end of year activities. When you take stock of yourself or you take stock of the goals you want to achieve, this is in a way like that too, right? Take stock of the world and try to think about what you want to be following this coming year, what you want to be watching. And mm-hmm. predictions just become like a fun way um, to kind of think about what's going to happen in the world yeah. in the next yeah. year. So I don't think it's as much about like totally getting it right and like being super precise. Because then you would say trivial things that you knew were going to be right, right? right. It, it's more about like trying to imagine the future and trying to think about the stories that will matter and that will really mm. crystallize the moment that you happen to be at at the end of the year. I don't know. What do you, what do you both think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think the end of the year is a time for two things. It's a time to reflect Mm -hmm. on what's happened. And it's also a time to look forward and to anticipate. And I think predictions are an explicit way to try to codify some of that anticipation in some form. And to me, here's point, it's not about being precise. When I make predictions, I bucket them in two different buckets. Mm -hmm. In one bucket are predictions that are almost a bit of an intellectual exercise to try to look at what's happening, maybe analyze what I see happening in a particular cultural space or business space, and then extrapolate forward. Mm -hmm. And then there's this other bucket where it's just pure provocation. You want to put something out there (laughs) to provoke a conversation and in the process maybe highlight something you think – something you see that's interesting going on in the world. I like the kind of predictions where you see – you see something happening that is interesting and seems different and seems new. Mm -hmm. And then to really think about does it have staying power? I remember we talked uh, in one of our last predictions, we talked a little bit about China and the crackdown. Mm-hmm. And we had just seen the very first, remember when they delayed the Ant IPO? Yeah. And it was just like this this insular thing that, you know, it's like really, oh my God, what do you mean? Like you crack down on an IPO of a really valuable company. And what I love about these moments is then you can think about, is that just, you know, the bad relationship between Jack Ma and the Chinese government? Or is there is there something more to the story that then makes it more likely that we'll see mm-hmm. the same thing yeah. happening over and over again? Yeah. And, and also, of course, I run a little book on the side. And so I find it a very profitable <laughs> exercise <laughs> just to take some bets. <laughs> you know, just, I find that a good, be a, a good thing yeah. to do as well. Now, well, one thing is that each of you studies different areas. I mean, there's marketing, finance, and strategy. Do you have any areas where you prefer to make predictions in that are outside of your area of focus? Or I don't know if we constrain ourselves in that way. I think we're pretty <laughs> undisciplined <laughs> okay. in how we think about the world. I mean, I do think we have our sweet spots. I mean, for young sure. me. I mean, young me uh, is turns out to be <laughs> an expert on the monarchy, as it turns oh. out, the English monarchy. Oh. Yeah. So two years ago, I made a prediction that the year twenty twenty would be the beginning of the end of the British royal family. 
Okay. I said, Prince William will never be king. Prince Charles will be the last British monarch. And about Uh a month after I made that prediction, Prince Harry and Meghan defected from the royal family. Look at this. And we got inundated with mail and people on social media saying, how did you know? How did you know? (laughs) Part of the what was behind a prediction like that was there's this notion that these institutions like the British royal family mm-hmm. are static and permanent. Yeah. And, and you know, if you, th- it was a reminder, I think, of the, the dynamism in our culture. Yeah. And if I looked across what was happening in our yes. culture and the rise of populism and the conversation around inequality and privilege – more and more, the British royal family stood out mm-hmm. as this anachronism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, we can take for granted its resilience, or we can begin to anticipate yeah. that the likelihood it's, that it's going to remain as robust as it's been historically is actually, it's actually quite low, right? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that's where that came from. So if you... If you see a glimpse of something and you think, does it have staying power? That's in a way an easier exercise than looking at something that has true permanence mm-hmm. and then think about when is it going to break? Yeah. That seems, that seems really hard. That seems, and you, you nailed it. You were perfect in your prediction. I've had some really bad ones as well, though. <laughs> uh, we're we're going to get to, we're going to get to those. I'm curious, um, Mihir and Felix, were there any predictions that you would call your good predictions? The China one was a pretty good one in the sense I had predicted profitability of Chinese private companies will be much lower okay. in 2021 than in 2020. And then, okay. I mean, I didn't, did I anticipate the broad crackdown on the tech sector? No, of course not. But did I see the rise of these tensions between Chinese entrepreneurs and the government and that sort of in the spirit of common prosperity, what they stood for, that became more and more objectionable in the eyes of the party. I think mm-hmm. that's maybe one I got right. And then I think that I once, I won, we once had a very spirited argument about the future of Netflix. Remember me uh-huh. here, you were, you were so skeptical whether they could survive. And I, I think that's probably one where I, I sort of saw... Well, as a, wait a second, the way I recall it, Felix. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think I, did. I No, I predicted that. that the globalization of Netflix would become a really stable and profitable business model, uh, which mm-hmm. uh, you now I see. like to forget that I had you no idea that we... <laughs> okay, I had no idea we were going to be uh, dredging up things. I have no... You know, I confess, the predictions I'm maybe most proudest of are, there's some small ones and then there's some bigger ones. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, there's sometimes it's really small. It's like a couple of years ago, it was about Google and Alphabet and the way they're going to start thinking about capital allocation differently. And they mm-hmm. and, it, and it was really, I think, fun and interesting and it was just a broader, but it was a micro prediction, but it was like a broader thing that I think was going on with them that yeah. I thought was a really fun one. And then there's been a couple about, you know, climate change, which is easy to kind of uh, think, well, it's, a, it's an easy topic to maybe try to make predictions about. But, um, you know, just that this year, for example, that the Federal Reserve would start to really think hard about systematic risk and climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of years ago, that denialism would no longer be a viable path for politicians. So I kind of like the macro ones because it keeps us aware that it's kind of happening. Like, you know, 
that it's always there mm-hmm. and it's something that should be on the front of our minds, even when yeah. it's easy to have it recede to the, to the past. Yeah. I study stress. And one thing that was really surprising to me was the stress that athletes finally started um, acknowledging. Remember the Summer Olympics mm, when yes. Um, yes. when yes. Simone yeah. Biles was like, I'm not going to compete. And that we all were very compassionate about that. Naomi Osaka. And so this idea that mental health is really starting to matter yes. in general and that we should, can be more sensitive to it was very surprising to me in 2021. You know, in fact, our our colleague Rawi tr- mentioned this in our last predictions mm-hmm. episode. Yeah. We've talked yes. about mental health on the podcast before, especially during uh, the pandemic, just yeah. to what the toll it was taking on everybody and how to think about it and how to deal with it. But sure, I think you're right, Madupe. 2021 really, I think, is a new crest in like our appreciation for mental health issues. And what a wonderful byproduct of the pandemic for everybody yeah. to become more aware <laughs> um, of these issues and to then have these athletes take that moment and make it something great for everybody. It was yeah. one of the certain highlights of 2021. Absolutely. I hadn't really thought about it before you said it, Madhupa, but maybe this is another advantage that we have in that we're always around young people. Mm-hmm. So we all, and you know, it's like you, you walk into any HBS classroom and it's just striking how open people are about mental yeah, health challenges. It's so different from even... 10 years ago when, yeah. you know, these, if at all, these were hush conversations, no one, no one wanted to acknowledge them. And so perhaps some of our predictions and insights just come from being in a place where mm-hmm. you have a lot of young people and it's all, that's sort of a glimpse of the future in and of yeah. itself. Now, what, what about, since we have such access to young people, this idea of the youth <laughs> calling it quits <laughs> on like unreasonable work demands? Reactions to that? Thoughts? Is that something you would have expected? Or even remember when all the companies initially said, oh, we're going to back to work in person and there was this big revolt around that? I know that was a little surprising to me, or maybe it wasn't for you. Love to hear your thoughts on that. I think you're seeing a lot of people say, you know, I, I'm, I'm not that happy at work, or I really don't want to commute anymore, yeah. or there are parts of my life I, I, I really don't like how my week is structured, and beginning to have conversations about things, and in many ways giving each other permission to talk about things that you were historically expected to just suck it up. Yeah, <laughs> And as a result, now there's this national and even global conversation about things that I think you were just supposed to suppress. Yeah, And I find it to be a really interesting moment as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And part of it is interesting. The If you look at older surveys, so 2017, 2018, what you will see is that people told us back then they wanted more flexibility. Except we didn't listen. Right. <laughs> now, you know, many people treat like, oh my God, there's this big revelation. Pandemic comes along and who knows? All of a sudden people want flexibility. No, they were screaming at the top of their lungs that they wanted <laughs> flexibility. <laughs> Except, you know, coming out of the Great Recession for such a long time, there was this, I think, pretty stark imbalance between worker negotiating power, in particular for simple jobs. And it just started to sort of turn before the pandemic. Remember how the last two years before the pandemic, finally wages for the relatively poorly paid workers, they started to increase. Mm -hmm. And in a way, 
what's really interesting about the current situation, even though it's driven by other factors, it also tilts the bargaining power uh, yeah. away from companies and yeah. towards workers. And then guess what? Like nothing like a shift in bargaining power that makes you listen to the other side. It's true. That yeah. just reminded me of today that the first Starbucks in Buffalo yes. has officially unionized. And I was like, well, talk about that being different. I, who predicted that? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know one of you geniuses. One of you geniuses predicted it. Who was it? Young me, you remember. Who said it? You did. No. <laughs> well, I mean, it's interesting, right? So it, both on kind of this broader idea of worker power, but the thing that strikes me about all this, Madupe, is that it's kind of framed as the great resignation, right? Which yeah. is a bunch of people saying no. But, and this goes to Felix's earlier point about entrepreneurship, it's also a lot of people saying yes to yes. something new, right? And especially with the data on self-employment and business starts. I mean, a lot of people are reconfiguring their lives and saying yes to something. So I think mm -hmm. what gets characterized in the press is a bunch of young punks or people who are like, want to say, take this job and shove it. And I'm sure there's some of that that's going on. Yeah. <laughs> but there's also, there's also something else going on, which is people really affirmatively saying, I want to live my life this way. And I'm doing mm -hmm. something different. I'm starting something different. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, I think that gets underappreciated in this quote unquote, great resignation. Yeah. Now, now one thing we were talking about was um, just this idea of voices not being suppressed. And me here, I have to give you a shout out for the case you published about the Tulsa massacre and the call for reparations. The case was so powerful as it examined the idea of paying reparations to the descendants of the victims of the 1921 Tulsa massacre. But it also asks whether reparations are owed to Black Americans on a national scale. And I'm curious to hear about your decision to write this case, especially because the topic of racial injustice and inequity was a huge part of 2021. Yeah. So, you know, I think like many people in the last uh, 12 or 18 months been preoccupied with racial injustice and thinking about it, but wanted to do something more productive than what I usually do when I get upset about something, which is, you know, just walk around and get angry. So <laughs> that took the form of, of this online case about the Tulsa massacre and the call for reparations. I think as scholars and professors and teachers, that is a really productive part of what we do, right? And I wasn't going to write, I wasn't going to do research about it because that's not my area. But to create a pedagogic device was really interesting. And it, you know, it's one of the great luxuries of our job, which I don't think we take enough of, which mm -hmm. is we have a lot of latitude. <laughs> yeah. And so it just became an opportunity to learn something and contribute a very small something uh, to this kind of ongoing debate about reparations. And I, mm -hmm. and I happen to think it's the hardest question in the world, which is what do yeah. you do about yeah. historic injustice? Yeah. Um, I, only, my only regret about that whole exercise was I thought that if I wrote this case, I'd know how to think about all this stuff. Like I know the answer, you know, <laughs> like sometimes when you write a case, you're like, oh yeah, I'll write the case and then I'll really know a lot about this so I can know what the right answer is. Yeah. And this was an exercise in I know a lot more than I knew before. And I also am pretty convinced it's way harder than anyone thinks, <laughs> thinks it is. Support for TED Business comes from Odoo. 
To put it simply, Odoo is built to save. Odoo saves time, Odoo saves money, but most importantly, Odoo saves businesses. That's right, Odoo's superhero software rescues companies from the perils of disconnected platforms, and Odoo's utility belt of user-friendly applications puts the power of total business management in the palm of your hand. Learn more at odoo.com slash tedbusiness. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash tedbusiness. Odoo, saving the world one business at a time. This show is brought to you by Schwab. With Schwab Investing Themes, it's easy to invest in ideas you believe in, like artificial intelligence, big data, robotic revolution, and more. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy as is or customize the stocks in a theme to fit your goals. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. Are there things that you or conversations that you found yourself now more a part of than you would have in the past or anything that you're definitely going to keep your eye on or that you're curious about that you weren't curious about before? I think we are truly living in the the most fascinating time, mm-hmm. it, you know, when it comes to the collision of business and society at large. If yeah. you think about all the everything that's happening in technology and innovation and now you know and now we have the blockchain and we have you know yeah. web3 and we have our financial institutions are changing before our eyes yeah. and you have M&A activity the likes of which we never really have seen before and you know just you know just one thing after another healthcare is transforming everything is transforming and so we have an opportunity to talk about that stuff together and i yeah. think it we just find it really energizing if you'll indulge me with some more management e questions partially because i know some of my listeners are building businesses and they're creating the, or hoping to create these types of synergies hmm. what are what's something that you've learned in terms of what it means to work effectively as a team from you working together on this podcast one of the moments that is really Prized is when someone changes their mind. I walk out almost happiest from an episode when we tape when I think, oh my God, I really, mm. I really changed my mind. Mm. <laughs> I really think about something. And that is, I don't know if this is a personal thing or maybe something you learn over time, but once you're in that space where that becomes a really great experience to change your mind. And I see this a little bit in students who build businesses, like the yes. The entrepreneurs who are happiest, I often find, are the ones where, you know, you run some tests and then what you thought was going to be the winning product turns out to do really poorly. And if that's a good moment for you, then I think the entrepreneurship really is for you because it's all about these discoveries, sometimes positive and sometimes negative. I think one of the things that at least we hear from our listeners, Madupe, is, you know, we do disagree with each other. And it's not like, you know, I think everything that Felix says or Young Me says is right. Like, we often disagree. And mm-hmm. I think the most kind of important thing that we're able to maybe pattern more broadly is this idea of respectfully disagreeing and yeah. maintaining uh, respect and affection, but also saying, yeah, but Felix, you're you're wrong because of X and Y and Z. And, and, then, mm-hmm. and then laughing about it afterwards. That's huge. That's huge. And... I, we never really talked about this, but the 
But the three of us also, we have immigration stories. Mm. This is not, you know, this is not the place where we grew up, but it's the place that we share and, yes. you know, where we do our work and where most of our observations come from. And maybe, maybe that creates some kind of an openness because we each, I remember uh, when we, when we talk about Korea, it's just, it's just different mm-hmm. to talk about it and having young me in the room or when we, when we talk about India, it's, it's, it's different having me here in the room. And so in yeah. a, in an interesting way, there is sort of variation and openness in our lives. And then I think that sort of carries over into many other things that then have nothing to do with where we right. grew up and yeah. what we study. Right. What are the biggest insights from your research about this that you think might be helpful to us as we continue to engage in this project, what what have you found? Here's the thing is what you said is the foundation to me. It's A, being proactive about finding people who are different from you on some dimension. Taking the time to hear, to listen, to be okay with disagreeing um, being open. You said, you know, someone said the value of changing your mind, being open to changing your mind and not being so stuck on, wait, was that an attack of me? So our ego can get so in the way of us to being able to receive and hear what people are saying from different perspectives. So I think that is a critical part of effective teamwork. And I love that you each shared how that has been meaningful for you. Um, and and also I think another piece of this is like being vulnerable. Hmm. I think making predictions by nature, you're being vulnerable. Right. And I think yeah. that invulnerability is strength. That's something I just keep on reminding myself and telling others. Vulnerability can bring strength, which means that I'm going to make you be vulnerable right now, which is, yeah, we're not going to get <laughs> away from you talking about the predictions you made that um, – <laughs> That did not come to bear. You were like, ah, you know, let's talk about the good ones. What about some of the other ones? The loser predictions. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I have a terrible one that I made. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things you figure out about this Modupe is how far out of your traditional zone you should venture. Right? Mm. So occasionally we'll do politics. And mm-hmm. so I think oh, I, I got this. one I got one right and I got one tar- horribly wrong. Okay. Which is I got it right and I that Trump would lose, but I got it wrong because I think the year prior, no, like 2018 or something like that, I said that he wouldn't seek the nomination. Like he would just be like, Mm. something would happen. (laughs) So that was like so wrong. (laughs) I don't know. What about you two? I mean, I remember the conversation that you and I had, young me, about Disney+. Plus. And I yeah. was so skeptical <laughs> about, remember yes. that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah, I so skeptical yeah. about whether it will yeah. work or not yeah. work. And then uh, much to my embarrassment, <laughs> I got like a hundred million subscribers in no time at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and part of what's, what's really great about these predictions is you can then go back and think about like, what is it about Disney Plus that I didn't see? Yeah. Right. Yes. right. Of course, exactly. it's not like right. a trivial thing. You know, families are, are going to sign up. But like, what is it about the the nature of the service, how they positioned it, yeah. how it got marketed that just completely <laughs> eluded me at the time when they at the time when they announced it. And and so 
the missed predictions, in some sense, in retrospect, the missed predictions are almost a little more interesting than, one, yeah. than the ones yeah. that you got right. Yeah, here's a bad one I had. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say it, but so two years ago I said, the year 2020 is going to be the year of the hearables. Not the wearables, but the hearables. And I said, you know, those AirPods that everybody is walking around uh-huh. with, they've become such a phenomenon. They're actually going to become a platform for more than just listening. They're going to become a way to collect health data because you can take your temperature this oh, way. Okay. They're going to be a way to monitor your heart rate. There's, they're going to become connected to the Apple Watch. So it turns out AirPods are just AirPods. They're just <laughs> nothing. Yeah, yeah. And meanwhile, you know, Apple's working on their, their glasses and all that. Yeah. So, yeah. So that one didn't go anywhere. But you can see where the idea came from, right? right. But actually, I think this goes back, to, you know, Mudupe, to your point about vulnerability and predictions, which is, it's actually the mistakes, to Felix's point, that are most interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Because, and unless you kind of put yourself on the line and you take say something about what you think is going to happen in the world, um, you can't really have the learning exercise of revisiting it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I remember like some, you know, you, there's this great website that Bessemer Venture Partners has about their mistake in investments and all the things they passed on. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's fantastic. I think it's such a learning opportunity that otherwise, and if you don't do the predictions and you don't do this exercise, you can always, in retrospect, claim, oh yeah, I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> so we're, you know, we're about to tape the one for this year. I'm excited because I have yeah. some... I have some good ones, guys. Yeah. Oh. Yes, Ooh. I do. And I can't <laughs> wait to hear what they bring in, too. Yeah. My question for you as we kind of wrap this up a little bit is, what is one thing you know for sure? Okay. So I have one, which is I think uh, in this next year, we are going to see the most creativity in job restructuring that we've seen in our generation. We're going to see four-day work weeks and hybrid work setups and in-person retreats to offset the remote work. We're going to see innovation in how wages are structured, compensation, um, benefit packages. I think we're going to just see companies get way more creative in hiring. I can imagine group hiring becoming a thing. So when companies come to a campus to recruit, instead of saying, we're going to hire you, they'll go to a computer science class and say, we would like to hire all 30 of you. Anybody in this class that wants to join our company, you can all join together. And whoever wants to sign up can come and join us and we can put you in a house together. And you can. I think we're just going to see massive creativity in how companies begin marketing themselves to potential employees and to their existing employees. That one I feel very mm. sure, but that's not mm. not bad. That's not bad, right? That's, that's, that's not bad. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's interesting. Good. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. I think the, the new role of retail investors and their power to shape what happens in the financial system, that's something that is going to stay. Mm. Uh, to stay? Wait, say that again. To Felix? stay, yes, to stay. Ah, so yeah. you know, some of the some of these bets will turn sour, of course, because mm-hmm. <laughs> no one has ever invested far from the fundamentals, and things have been always <laughs> very, very okay in their in the long run. But I think this sort of this newfound role, this force that is the 
retail investor that doesn't just like index funds, mm -hmm. uh, that is new and different. And I'm sure that will be, that will be a force that is here to stay. Mm. Wow. Mm. So I confess, um, I'm, I'm, I'm oddly tempted to yeah. disagree with my co-hosts. <laughs> that would be so uncharacteristic of you. On both fronts. This is something you never do. I disagree with both of my co-hosts on those ideas. And the thing I'm most confident of is over the next year, talking about who's right and wrong about those things will be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That you will, you're confident that you will disagree with who's right or right. I love it. I love it. If you want to hear young me, Felix, and me here's predictions for 2022, check out the latest episode of After Hours wherever you get your podcasts. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Cosmic Standard with help from Asia Simpson and Eliza Smith, researched by Cassie Brabaugh, and fact-checked by Nicole Bodie. Our mixer is Sam Baer, and special thanks to Anna Phelan, Michelle Quint, Corey Hagem, and Colin Helms. I'm Adu Bakanola. Thanks so much for listening in 2021, and I look forward to talking to you again in the new year. Support for the show comes from Brooks Running. I'm so excited because I have been a runner, gosh, my entire adult life. And for as long as I can remember, I have run with Brooks running shoes. Now I'm running with a pair of Ghost 16s from Brooks. Incredibly lightweight shoes that have really soft cushioning. It feels just right when I'm hitting my running trail that's just out behind my house. You now can take your daily run in the better than ever Ghost 16. You can visit brooksrunning.com to learn more.